So we begin talking about calling uh, with this most famous passage out of the beginning of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, and you actually would probably do well to bring it up on your phone or if you have your Bible with you, uh, bring up the Bible on your phone or on your iPad or whatever. Um, says this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, "Uh, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Amen. Uh, Ah, yeah. So the famous story here of Moses and the burning bush. It's classic. It's uh, famous. You'll find it on Sports Center and anywhere else, used as a metaphor over and over, usually wrongly, but what the heck. Still, it gets used. This is Moses' turning point. This is his call. And we're talking about calling here this morning. I'm convinced that each of us are called by God. I'm convinced that we're called by God. Some are called to motherhood, fatherhood. Some are called to serve their nation. We particularly think about that here on Memorial Day weekend. Some are called uh, to ministry. Others are called to social service to help people cope with life and to make the best of what they've been allotted. Many, many of us are called to the marketplace to make life better for everyone and make life work and human flourishing. But what is your calling? Have you identified your calling? What is your call? And so therefore, in order to help you find your call or identify it, maybe look back, or if you don't have it yet, this might help. Let's look at the Bible. Let's look at a pattern of calling out of Scripture. Okay? So this morning, I want to put forth just a couple of key elements of calling. First, let's see what the Bible shows us uh, to be a call from God. And then second, let's see if we can leverage our calling in life. Let's energize the call, okay? That's what I'm after, just a couple of things. Identify and energize. All right, back in the 1960s, a German scholar, Norman Habel, Norman Habel identified six distinct um, elements or stages in what's called a call narrative, kind of like Moses here. So we're going to pick on Moses because his calling's easy to understand, and it's kind of ripe to be picked on. And calling that Moses' calling is to lead the children of Israel, the Israelites, the Hebrews, out of 430 years of slavery in Egypt. All right? So here's, I gave you a cheat sheet, some teaching notes, and this is on there. There are six um, stages, everyone call them elements here, to a call according to Habel. One, the divine confrontation. Two, the introductory word. Three, the commission. Four, the objections. And yes, there are lots of objections. Reassurance and the sign. 
Exodus chapter 3, Moses is minding his own business. Keep in mind that Moses is the one who got put in a basket when he's an infant by his mother, sent down the, sent down the Nile River. Pharaoh's servant's daughter's servant picks him up out of the water. He gets raised as prince of Egypt and um, is basically raised in royalty. Now, it's kind of cool because he doesn't really know much about being a Hebrew except that in the way things worked is that his own mom, unbeknownst to them, becomes his wet nurse. And so she sort of tells him about what it means to be a Jew, at least what they can remember from 400 years earlier. Okay, but he doesn't know much about God or being a Jew or being a Hebrew or anything like that, all right? This is also the Moses. As a young man, fast forward to a young man, and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew. And so Moses has anger issues. He has anger issues his whole life. In a fit of rage, he kills the Egyptian taskmaster and buries him in the sand, right? He gets scared, and he's going to run away. He's going to flee because he's committed murder, right? By the way, it's the Israelite slaves, the Hebrew slaves, who actually point out to them the next day, like, hey, didn't we, who are you mouthing off to us? Because didn't we see you killing somebody yesterday? Yikes. So that's why he's running away. He's been found out by the very people he's going to be sent to save. All right. So, call element number one. Boom. Divine confrontation. It's the burning bush. He's out minding his business, taking care of his sheep and his goats. He's, you know, a shepherd. He's assumed this false identity, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's interesting then, there's this burning bush, because when God wants to get our attention, he often does so subversively subversively. In other words, God gets our attention in ways we do not expect. Oftentimes this happens. God is always surprising us. Maybe God got your attention subversively through unemployment. That got your attention. Maybe God got your attention to to your calling through, uh, I don't know, getting pregnant. That always seems to get some uh, people's attention. Yeah, having your first kid. Maybe it was some other kind of uh, big thing that happened. Your girlfriend breaks up with you, something like this, and you begin to contemplate your future and your situation and your self-worth and all that sort of thing. Now, it doesn't always have to be bad. It doesn't always have to be a loss or something go wrong. Look at Moses. He's minding his own business. He's got a good life. He's got a good wife. He's got some sheep of his own. He's got a really rich, powerful father-in-law, Jethro. Life is good. And then he sees the burning bush. Now, for me, in my call, I was working in the marketplace, in the transportation business, in trucking and in aircraft. I come home from church one Sunday, minding my own business. Everybody's gone out of the house. They'd all gone to their churches. I'm a single guy, about 25 years old. I'm sitting on the sofa drinking coffee, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get this vision in my head of this ocean of people. And it's like undulating as far as the eye could see. And I kind of assume, I guess in my mind, it's like heaven or something. I don't think that's really what heaven looks like, but that's what I'm picturing. Multitudes, multitudes, yeah? And I hear in my head this voice that says, know as many people here as possible. That's it. Gone. 
picture in my head. I start crying because it's kind of like, I know it's a God moment. I don't even know what it means. There's no plan with it or anything like that. That's just all I knew. But I knew there was something, a divine confrontation happening. Have you had a burning bush moment? Dramatic? Undramatic? Not so much? Have you been called out? It doesn't have to be for ministry. It could be for something else. Second call element, the introductory word. For Moses, God introduces himself to Moses by saying, I am the God of your father. Now, I believe this introductory word is necessary for Moses because Moses was hiding and he didn't know how to be a Hebrew. He didn't know who God was. He's raised an Egyptian. But here's what I notice about this introductory word. Notice Moses is out in the wilderness. There are no competing voices. Imagine the life of a shepherd out trying to find pasture for your sheep and goats. It's a pretty peaceful solitude sort of thing. Has no meetings to be to. There's no traffic. He's just out there. Life is easy. No soccer games to take kids to. Nothing's going on. No headaches. No phone calls. Right? Now, I've been leading solitude retreats now for years. And sooner or later, what I've found in leading people on solitude and silence and fasting retreats is that solid, busy, productive men and women who get away for a few days, they begin to hear the voice of God in their lives. And they know it's God somehow. They can't explain it. But somehow when we get alone and quiet, we begin to hear God. It's just the way it is. If, you're, if your life is so busy and you don't hear God's voice very much, it might be because we're so busy. That's my, that's my lesson I've learned. Me, my calling, I didn't have an introductory word. I skipped this step. Probably because I wasn't raised Egyptian and I was supposed to be a Hebrew. But it's probably because I already knew, I already knew that it was God. But when I do spiritual direction with people... I notice they oftentimes are confused about what's God's voice. Now, me too. I instantly begin like, oh, I got this picture of these people in this multitude. And I'm thinking like, is that just me or is that God? That's a pretty standard thing. That just makes you a sane person if you can't distinguish the voice of God. And like, I don't know if that's God or not. Like, could be, could not be. I don't know. Right? That's predictable. Spiritual direction. People are saying to me, was that God or is that just me? I'm like, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to tell. When in doubt about who is calling you, it's better if you just go with old Eli's recommendation to the young boy Samuel. That just says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Why not just err on the side of God? Other than going crazy or something like that. Speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Why not? Why not assume that the thing you're hearing is from God? If you think it's a God thing, if you've got a nudge that it's a God thing, then lean into it. Check it out. I mean, you don't want to have real bona fide crazy talk. Anything that would say hurt yourself or hurt other people or something like that, that's not from God. It's better to tell your story then to a spiritually mature friend, somebody you trust. 
Somebody who, would, who could tell you the truth about yourself. Now, God might speak in um, metaphor and imagery. I've also learned that God is not long-winded. And in my study of the ancient spiritual fathers and mothers, they, the first thing they said is, God's first language, by the way, is silence. So if he does speak, it's short. It's to the point. You may not understand what it means, but you understand what God said. That's the way it works. That's the way you hear God. It's not long-winded. It's like uh, Francis of Assisi in the 13th century, St. Francis, you know. In his vision, he's in prayer, and he sees a vision. And uh, the, the vision, God says to Francis, says, build my church. So Francis is like, yeah. And so he gets a bunch of outcasts, mostly lepers, and they go out to a dilapidated, broken-down church, and they begin to stack stones, and they begin to build a church. And then, like, a short while later, a few years later, Francis is like, oh, he didn't mean build a church. He meant build a church, because the church was in ruin, like the church. And uh, historians and scholars say Francis of Assisi, St. Francis, rescued Christianity in Europe um, in the 13th century, because he reoriented it back to the poor back to grace, back to the common people. So you may hear something from God and not really know what it means, but it's clear. That's what we've all found out. So scholars tell us that the introductory word makes a person receptive to the call. In the case of Mary of Nazareth, Jesus' mother, Mary hears God's delight from the angel Gabriel. Mary, you are the favored one of God. The Lord is with you. It's positive. It makes you receptive. Jeremiah is told before he was formed in his mother's womb that he was set apart to, uh, for a divine mission in Jeremiah chapter 1. Of course, everyone is always afraid and uncertain when God is chasing them down. That's totally normal. It should scare you. You're not supposed to be scared, but it always scares us. Lean into it. God is speaking. Something is different. Lean into the voice of God. Hope, be positive. Assume it is for the best. God is more for you than you are for yourself. God does not want to take you some torturous place. Let God take your life into a new direction. God is calling you. Call element number three, the commission. For Moses, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. I will send you to Pharaoh, Moses, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. No confusion here for Moses. Moses knew exactly what God said. You want me to go back to Egypt? You want me to go back to Egypt where I'm wanted for murder, where I've humiliated Pharaoh and abandoned them? And where, by the way, the very people you're asking me to rescue are the ones who've accused me of the murder? You want me to go back to that place? Yes, Moses, that's where I want you to go. Then come call element number four, the objections. (laughs) Yeah, objections. Moses has got objections, and so do you and I. For Moses, he can't get them out fast enough. One, who will they say sent me? Who am I going to tell them sent me to tell them let my people go? Nobody knows who you are, God, here on Mount Horeb, and, and nobody knows. Two, right? Two. 
Suppose nobody believes me or listens to me. Three, just send somebody else. That's my favorite objection. He's clearly out of excuses at this point. Just send somebody else. God says, don't worry, you got Aaron, your brother, and he can speak just fine. So you just, you know, do your thing. Call element number five, reassurance. The objections and the reassurance are the tense time when God calls. When Gabriel told Zechariah the, the, that his son, John, would be the baptizing prophet to go before the Messiah, Jesus, Zechariah doubts God. And so the Lord gives Zechariah a classic time-tested slow bake of solitude and silence with striking him dumb and we assume from the text, deaf. And so for like six months or so, he can't speak and he can't hear. How's that for solitude and silence? Because Zechariah needed time to process what God was doing. And Zechariah's silence allows God, God's call to take shape in Zechariah's soul. Once again, we're going to see this pattern of solitude and silence and fasting being the place in the furnace of God where people find out what they're supposed to be doing in their next stage of their life. The objections and the reassurances go hand in hand. Our excuse is always met with with God's promise. I remember when I was in college, and I realized that I was terrible at math, and I was in the engineering school, and it's my junior year. I like math. I just can't do it, okay? So I still like math. I think it's a puzzle. It's cool. People who can do it, they're brilliant. It ain't me. And so I've got to, like, change measures and, or do something. My best friend, being my best friend, still my best friend, says, why don't you just drop out? Like, my dad's had a stroke. Um, he's disabled. My mom's dying of diabetes. I don't have anywhere else to go. I might as well just stay here. You know, I'm already in debt anyway. Just need to, I had too much grit and tenacity to quit at that point. And by the way, it's been a little potter, I mean, a pattern and a problem in my life that when people do a throwdown like that to me, I tend to kind of muscle up inside and find something that says, uh-uh, ain't gonna, ain't gonna happen. I think it's gotten me in trouble more often, and that's why I'm standing up here right now. So, um, so I didn't drop out. I heard God telling me, your job is school. That's what you're supposed to be working at right now. Make school your job. And so I took 23 hours next semester and uh, treated school as a job. I did better at 23 hours than I did at 15 hours. Because that's the only thing I had to do in life was study. It worked. I got out with an organizational psychology degree type thing. Yeah. Now, what you and I need, because Moses had one, is a staff. The staff is a little, it was straight when I got it out of the woods. And it's got a T on top. That's a taw for Greek. It's a Greek a taw. That's the symbol of St. Anthony, the original desert father. And uh, if you find, if, you, if you're in a museum and you see some old dude with a beard and he's got this staff in his hand, it's Anthony. You can kind of, you know, dollars and donuts is going to be Anthony. And, um, but you know what is the cool thing about a staff? If you get a staff, you're going somewhere. And Moses had a staff. 
You get a staff in your hand. No one sits on the sofa with a staff. It's just not going to happen. You, you, you can't do anything sitting on the sofa if you have a staff in your hand. You're going to be up and going. Like, I think of Harry Truman. Always picture, you know, that little icon they have up there in Independence, you know. He's got that walking stick, you know, and the hat. He's got a hat on. He's got a stick. Why? Because old men need sticks. Because you know why? Because they're going somewhere. They got some place to be, and you need a stick if you're going somewhere. You know, how many Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and who's no, who knows who else? I take, when I, when I take, do men's retreats, get guys out in the woods. Every one of them comes back with a stick. They, they get their knife out. They start whittling on the thing. They get one usually straighter than this. You got to have a stick. Why? Because you're going to climb that hill. You're going to ford that river. You're going to poke that fire. You've got something to do when you've got a stick in your hand. You want to be a pilgrim? You want to change the world? You want to be called? Get a stick. Get a staff. I know they're supposed to just be for yanking sheep and goats, but there's so much more you can do with it. It'll take you places. We just don't have enough sticks in our lives. That's our problem. More sticks. Moses gets a staff. And he says, you take that staff and let it take you places back to Egypt. That stick becomes his sign. Sixth call element, the sign. Moses tells him, you throw down that staff. This is on the objections that he's answering, God's answering for him. It's going to become a snake. Moses, pick up the snake by the tail. Okay, it becomes a staff again. That's cool. Yeah? Moses, stick your hand inside your robe. Pull it back out. It's disease. It's leprous. They call it leprous. It's just some kind of disease. Put it back in. It comes out clean. You show him that. That'd be cool. Last thing is, you take some water from the Nile River. You pour it on the ground. It becomes blood. Whoa. And if you want to get Pharaoh's attention, then turn the Nile into blood. Because that's their food and that's their commerce. There ain't no Egypt without the Nile. Right? Even today. Okay, oil, but other than that. Yeah, so I had my doubts about starting Lakeland Community Church. I went through most of these except for the introductory word. I told God that uh, somewhere like in the first year when we started, I said, God, if we don't have 200 people after five years, then I'm going to take that as a sign that we're supposed to quit. We're just going to shut the church down if we don't have 200 people after five years. Okay, five years comes around. My assistant shows me the statistics of attendance on Sunday morning adult and kids and everything. You know what the number was? 199. <laughs> oh, that's funny, God. You're just, you're just a joke a minute. That's, that's great. You know, you know, some of you guys are thinking like, look, just get black or white, man. It was 199. We shouldn't be here right now. We should have quit this church. You disobedient son of a Baptist. <laughs> you know, take a hint. You failed. You know, that's what I should have said. But I think there was actually something else going on. This is this classic thing where God says to us, God in his ultimately holy smart aleckiness says like, so 200, huh? I know what you really meant. You really meant 2,000, didn't you? That was really what it was supposed to be. You just told me 200. Don't put me to the test. I win every time. Okay. I get it. 199 Lou.
Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, his sign was silence. Jonah's sign was his big fish. That's some solitude and silence. Elijah's sign is on that mountain, the still small voice, the gentle whisper. My sign was that God was a bigger smart aleck than me. What's your sign? If we follow this call narrative model, the sign usually conveys God's trustworthiness. And that's what it did for me. Just trust me. 199, 2,000. Stop worrying about numbers. Just love the people and everything's cool. The other thing you're going to find out, and this is not in the six-part model, the cost is always high to follow God. The cost is always extremely high. You'll receive everything from God, and the cost will be outrageous. It's always that way. Do I need to say childbirth? (laughs) That's a call. It's a call to raise up another human being. And it's a big, take a big gulp type call. And the cost is so high. But it's totally worth it. Raising a family, taking a new job, retirement, retirement. All of these things, the reason why it's so scary is because you lose control. I, I know what all your buddies are saying, like for you guys who are going to retire. They're saying like, cool, you're going to retire, man. You get to do anything you want. And you're like, I know, I don't want to do anything I want. I just want to do this job. Okay, I don't want to do this job anymore. But you know what I mean? Because it's a loss of control. And loss of control is always the scariest thing. You have a kid, you raise a family, you lose control. You know what I'm praying about these days? That somebody, uh, that God would call somebody to start a college ministry on a campus somewhere around us, a few hours away or whatever. Like, that we would somehow figure out how to fund a campus college ministry. Why? To raise up new leaders just for the, the, the kingdom of heaven on earth. That we would start a college ministry. I'm also praying that uh, on the other side, that during the school year, you know, we, we are getting new interns, but we just don't know who they are yet. So we're praying about that call as well. But that God would raise up the next generation of leaders, not just at Lakeland, but everywhere. That ought to be part of our prayer. If you're an old dude like me, that's your job. Beseech the Lord to say, help us identify new leaders. Raise up new leaders for your church, for your ministry. People that will have a passion that they cannot refute and they cannot deny a a divine confrontation that says, I must do this. That's what we're praying for around here. We need to have a, like a closet full of staffs around here. We just like, everybody who comes through, like, here's your staff, here's your staff, here's your staff, here's your staff. Try not to beat each other. Just take the staff, go somewhere. <laughs> Speak, Lord, for your servants listening. That's what I'm praying someone will hear and say back to God. It's time. It's time, everyone, to re-examine our calls, find the energy back in it, 
lean into it. If it's being a parent, cool. If it's retirement, cool. If it's changing job, if it's going to school, if it's cancer treatment, whatever you're facing down, face it with all the tenacity and fortitude that you can muster. Lean into God. Say, God, I am not in control. You are in control. Show me where to go. I will just pick up my staff and I will go. That's, that's what Jesus is looking for. That's what we need to find. Amen. 